Well, I trust that you had a great weekend. I know that I did. It uh, started for me on, uh, I think it was uh, Thursday night. We had the hub, first um, introduction of uh, this vehicle of just training and, and, and encouraging our leaders. And so uh, if you're a leader at LifePoint, can I encourage you, we're going to do these about once a month, once every other month, come to one of those. We heard a guy who wrote a book, um, the, the Power of Who, and it was really very powerful. And then on Friday, we as a church served the Meadows Elementary School, and there were about a thousand kids, individuals uh, there as we were passing out hot dogs, playing games, and made an impact for the kingdom. And you'll see some pictures hopefully next week about that. Well, let's say hi to Frisco. Hey, Frisco, let's give it up for them. Okay. Several weeks ago, we started a new series that we entitled The Call. And the very first message, we looked at eight things that we just in general need to know about that. Then the following week, we looked at something that may have been a shock to us, that we haven't been called to be slaves or servants or warriors or workers. We have been called to be receptacles, to receive God's love. And then last week, we took a look at the importance of uh, belonging, that God doesn't want us to be orphans on the street. Now, I want you to know that as we go through these five different callings that we have on our, on our life, they are built on one another. You must first be loved, and then you need to belong, and then after that, you need to become. Think of it like a family, if you would. I mean, the reason that you are here is that mom and dad wanted to share some of their love with you, okay? And then you came into the family, and then as you started to grow, you wanted to become something. A, a nurse, a fireman, a police officer, a, a doctor, a, a Barbie or Ken, I don't know, okay? But it's, it's natural. The Bible says that you and I must first be loved and then become, or be loved and belong, and then the third one is become. Take a look at Romans chapter 8 and verse 28 and 29. We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. As we discussed in the past, the word called and purpose mean the same thing. In fact, the word called is used over a hundred different times in the New Testament, okay? Ten more times than the word purpose. For God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son so that, so that his son would be the firstborn with many brothers and sisters. So will you write this down? My third calling in life is to become like Christ. Now what does that mean? Well, let me first tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that you're going to become little gods like some religions teach. No, it means that God wants you to become godly. Like father, like son. He wants you to take on family characteristics. And what might those be? The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those qualities are pictures of Jesus. If you're, going to be, if you're going to become like Jesus, you need to possess the qualities of the fruit of the Spirit. Now, it's interesting to me, as I read through the Bible, the Bible oftentimes compares you and I becoming like Jesus to a race. 
And this race isn't some 50-yard dash or 100-yard dash. No, it is a marathon. And whether you realize this or not, you're in that race now, and your goal is to become the man or woman that God created you to be. It is your third calling in life. The Bible talks, no doubt, that the Christian life is a walk, that you and I are to walk the walk, okay? But it also talks about the Christian life being a race, a race that we need to finish. And so today, what I want to do is I want to take a look at some different passages in Scripture that compare life to a race, that compare becoming who God wants you to be to a race. And I want to draw out of these passages eight principles. This is going to be about getting you to where God wants you to be. And what does that look like? Folks, it looks like Jesus and so how do I do this? How do I run the race to maturity? Well, out of three or four big passages, there are eight principles. And the first one is this. Will you write this down? I got to simplify my life. I have to cut out, clean out the stuff that's holding me back from being the man or woman that God wants me to be. I need to clean out my mind. I need to clear up my relationships and I need to clean up my schedule. If you run in a race, you know what? Oftentimes you got to strip down to the bare necessities. As I watch marathon runners, they barely have a stitch of clothing on them. In Hebrews chapter 12, our first passage that we're going to look at refers to this metaphor. Take a look at Hebrews 12 verse 1. Let us strip off anything that slows us down or holds us back, and especially those sins that wrap themselves tightly around our feet and trip us up. And let us run with patience the particular race that God has set before us. Now, I want you to circle a couple of things here. Circle the word anything. That word in the Greek is oikos. It means weight or something bulky. Uh, when you run a marathon race, you don't run it with an Eskimo parka on. No. <laughs> you, you, you strip away everything that's going to hinder you. Circle the word or phrase, particular race. God has a particular race for your life that's only for you. Your mom can't run your race. Your dad can't run your race. Your kids can't run your race. Your, your boyfriend or girlfriend can't run your race. Uh, your spouse can't run your race. And by the way, you can't run their race for them either. Now, the challenge with this is that everybody wants you to run their race. And so one of the things that you need to decide is whose race am I going to run? And you got three options. You can run your race, you can run someone else's race, or you can run the race that God created you to run. But you can't run all three of them. And so the starting point, if you're going to win at running the race of life, you've got to decide which race you're going to run. Got it? Get it? Got it? Good? Give it away. Because that is a, an important Truth, the race that you want to run is God's race for you. And so you come to God and you just say, God, I'm clearing up my relationships and I'm cleaning out the hurts, the habits, and the hangups that are holding me back from becoming the man or woman of God that you've intended for me to be. I simplify my life. 
The second principle is this. Don't get impatient or in a hurry. You see, the race is going to take your entire life. It's not going to take a week or a month or even a year. God has a lifetime plan for your life. Now, what works against that oftentimes is the fact that when you and I be, first became a Christian, we started to grow like a weed. It's kind of like when you were born physically as a baby. In your very first year, you doubled your weight. What if you sustained that the rest of your life? You wouldn't look too pretty, okay? Either would I, okay? No, uh, as you and I grow physically, it slows down and it becomes steady. Well, guess what? The same is true spiritually. Your growth is to be stable and secure and steady over a period of time. God isn't in a hurry with your life. You may be in a hurry, but God isn't in a hurry. When God wants to make a mushroom, guess what? It takes him six hours. When God wants to make an oak tree, it takes him 60 years. What do you want to be? A mushroom or an oak tree? Folks, I don't know about you, but I want my life to have roots. I want there to be strength and stability and security so that when the waves of adversity come, whether it comes from culture or whether choices that have been made upon me, that I am stable and secure. You see, as your pastor, I can show you how to be a godly man or a godly woman but I can't teach you how to do that quickly. It's going to take your entire life. That is why in this first passage, Hebrews 12:1 says this, let us run with patience the particular race that God has set before us. That is why I'm so excited about our church purchasing and giving all of our church members access to this video library called Right Now Video. It is like Christian Netflix, folks. It's just thousands, tens of thousands of different videos that you can use on your TV or your iPad or your smartphones. We purchased this so that you would be able to grow that you can grow at your pace, but grow steadily into the oak trees that God wants you to be. And what's exciting is it covers every area of life. You name it, it is there. So check it out on your emails. And if you didn't get one, check your junk mail, okay? Our desire truly is for you to become an oak tree. Now, the third key of running the race that God has for you is this, I must spend time focusing on Jesus every day. A little bit every day. Five, 10, 15 minutes. Now why, why do that? Why spend time focusing my mind and my thoughts on Jesus? It's because whatever you wanna become, you need to think about. If you wanna become like Jesus, you need to think about him and you need to spend time with him. Whoever you spend time with, that is who you're gonna become. As it is said, if you want to soar like the eagles, you can't be hanging around the turkeys all the time, okay? Because they're going to bring you down. But if you spend time with Jesus, he's going to bring you up. Now, it's interesting to me that when you build this habit into your life, you will hear 
God's calling on your life. I have in my office a jar, a mason jar, about like this, and at the bottom of it is sand, and the rest of it is water, and it is clear. People come in, and they look at it, and they say, what's that? I says, let me illustrate. Sand at the bottom. Those are the thousand things that we give ourselves to. Right now, it's, it's sitting still. It's quiet. You can see through it. You can see and hear God's calling on your life, but we don't oftentimes sit still. We move around, and we're going here, and we're asking God, what's my calling on my life, God? And we haven't built the habit of just sitting still and being quiet. And when you run around, it just gets all clouded up. I guarantee you this. If you will build this habit into your life, you will hear God's call on your life, and it will inspire you. If you hear from the devil, it's called temptation. You hear from God, it's inspiration. If you hear your own call and you answer it, it's called insanity, okay? God wants to tell you and inform you what your calling is. Take a look at Hebrews 12, verse 2. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, on whom our faith depends from start to finish. Folks, you can't become like Jesus unless you spend time with him. And the more time you spend with him, reading, studying, praying, watching a video on your TV from Right Now Media, the more you're going to acquire the fruits of the Spirit and reflect Jesus. Moses did this one time. One time Moses went to Mount Sinai and he was there almost two months. And when he came down from it, his face was glowing so much he reflected the glory of God so much that the people could not stand it. I mean, it was freaking them out, and they put a veil over his face. Paul talks about this story in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. Notice what he says here. All of us have had the veil removed so that we can be mirrors that brightly reflect the glory of the Lord. And as the Spirit of the Lord works within us, we become more and more like Him and reflect His glory even more. Will you circle a couple of phrases? Will you circle more and more, okay? What that means is that it's sequential. It is systematic. It is daily. It is a process. Just like the, your calling are building blocks built upon one another, so too your times with God should be. The problem and the challenge is what we all want in life is just some pill. We want some pill to instantaneously fix us. Uh, we want a microwave life of maturity, but it doesn't happen that way. It happens as you and I make steady progress day after day after day, focusing more and more and more. Now circle the phrase, reflect his glory. The more time you spend and reflect on Jesus, his love, his patience, his kindness, his goodness, his qualities, the fruits of the Spirit, the more you're going to become like them. It's interesting. This reflection thought or aspect actually is grounded biologically in our minds. Scientists have discovered that inside your brain, you have what are called mirror neurons. Mirror neurons allow you to feel or sympathize or empathize with people. Let me give you an example. Have you ever seen someone yawning? 
and you felt like you were tired and yawned as well. Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever seen a scary situation and all of a sudden you started to feel scared and you started to shake? Or when you see someone celebrating, all of a sudden you begin to, to have the same joy. Or when you watch uh, uh, some movie and you see some romantic scene and there is this kiss, you feel that love. Guess what? Those are the mirror neurons at work. The more time you spend more and more and more in a systematic way and reflect on the glory of God in the person of Jesus, the more you're going to become like him and you will discover your call. There's an individual, a student, who did this when he was in the seventh grade. His name is Jay Schlegel. I'd like you to listen to his story. I've grown up in the church all my life. I've been raised by God-loving, God-fearing parents, and I've always been thankful for that. But it wasn't until the seventh grade that I realized that faith wasn't just something that I did on a Sunday morning. It was a lifestyle, and my relationship with Christ was supposed to be a relationship. Our new youth pastor at the time, David Hansen, uh, called the youth ministry uh, to get involved in our schools. And so a longtime friend of mine, Dawson Hurt, uh, he and I went to our Fowler Middle School uh, and started a Bible study. We didn't know what we were doing. Uh, we had very little theological understanding, and we definitely didn't know how to lead people or organize a group. Uh, but we knew that we were called to be faithful. Uh, and through that, uh, we matured in ways that we never foresaw. We started with eight friends, and we've grown to over 80 members of the Bible study four and a half years later at our high school. And through that process, we've grown spiritually. Uh, we've seen friends come to know Christ, family members come to know Christ, and staff members come to see Christ in ways that we never thought would happen, never imagined. I didn't have a whole lot of biblical understanding when I started the Bible study, uh, but it's through this process of spiritual maturity uh, and, and my own spiritual growth that I've learned that all you have to do is be obedient and God will use you. Isn't that awesome? Give it up for Jay. I mean, he, he just started, okay, I'm going to get into God's Word, and I'm going to learn some theology, and I'm just going to bring that to my campus. And as he's done that, God has spoke to him about his life, his calling. 80 students now, Fowler High School in Frisco. Folks, those are the mirror neurons that work in your brain. God's designed you that way. There is a fourth thing. In order for you to win the race and finish the course that God has for you. The fourth thing is this, when it gets hard, remember the reward. Now, since God's number one goal in your life is to become, is to help you become like Jesus, and I want you to listen to this. He is going to take you through the same things that he took Jesus through. Was Jesus ever lonely? Sure he was. Was Jesus ever criticized? Absolutely. Was he betrayed? Uh-huh. Was he fatigued? Oh, yeah, there were times he was just worn out, just like you and I are. Ever been misunderstood? Oh, yeah, that was probably his biggest cross that he ever carried. If God didn't spare his own son of those things, what would make you and I think that he's going to spare us of those things? He's not. It's interesting, as you go through the book of Hebrews, it says that Jesus learned obedience from the things that he suffered. 
The, the things that God allowed him to go through that were father filtered. And the reason that he was able to persevere through those is because he kept his eyes on the prize. You see, the next time, the next time you have something happen in your life and you start to think, why in the world is this happening to me? Realize and understand that God wants to build your character and he wants to improve your attitude. And so instead of asking, why is this happening? Ask, what God do you want me to learn? Because Jesus learned obedience from the things that he suffered and what enabled him to get there was the prize. Take a look at Hebrews 12, two and three. Jesus did not give up because of the cross. On the contrary, because of the joy that was waiting for him, he thought nothing of the disgrace of dying on the cross, and he is now seated at the right side of God's throne. Think of what he went through. Now he put, how he put up with so much hatred from sinners. So do not let yourselves become discouraged and give up. You see, problems are a part of God's plan for your life and my life. And when we go through problems, I say this, claim a promise. One of my favorite ones is 1 Peter 5.10. It says, after you suffer for a short time, God who gives all grace will make everything right. He will make you strong and support you and keep you from falling. He called you to share in his glory in Christ, a glory that will continue forever. And so we have short-term problems on earth, and we have long-term glory in heaven. Now, are there moments of joy in our lives on, on this side of eternity? Sure there are. There's times of celebration. There's times of happiness. There's times of joy. But in general, is it not true that life is hard? Now, let me give you another memory verse. Romans 8, 28. I mentioned this in our first week. This is, a, this is a key verse. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. I would encourage us to repeat the, the, the address and that verse over and over and over again, aloud, out loud, because you and I learn more from hearing than we do from seeing. The fifth step if you're going to win at the race that God has for you, that particular race and becoming all that God wants you to be, the fifth thing is I must gather a team to run with. Now remember, this is your race and nobody else can run it, but people can support you in your race. I will never forget a number of years ago before I blew out my back, I wanted to start running 10Ks. They were really popular, okay? And Steve Chalk, Dr. Chalk, our neuropsychologist here uh, in our church, says, George, he's a marathon runner. So I'll just help you. And so, you know, we started running. And the first, my first 10K was at Las Colinas Christmas Classic, and I think I ran it in 75 minutes, okay? I was about ready to die right there on the spot. But he helped me. The next year, he says, George, let, let's pick up the pace and let's set the goal for breaking 60 minutes, 6.2 miles in 60 minutes. I said, okay, so we started training, all this kind of stuff. Comes uh, the, the Lost Colonies Christmas Classics, first part of December. It is colder than a well digger's you-know-what, okay? 
And we're there, and I'm all bundled up. And there's this guy. It's just a little side story. There's this guy, and he's, he's got this huge beer belly. And both Steve and I looked at him and went, if I looked like that, I'd put something over that, that's for sure. Anyway, we, we're, that's a little side story. So anyway, we're, we're there, okay, and the race starts, and, and I'm, I'm running really my lungs out, okay? And there are these ladies pushing two kids up a hill, passing me. And Steve says, come on, George, you can do it. You can do it. After a few minutes, he says, George, don't let him pass you. Don't let him pass you. I looked over my shoulder, and there was that guy with that beer belly like this. I learned two valuable lessons that day. First of all, don't judge other people, okay? But secondly, I wouldn't have been able to finish, and I did under 60. It was 59, like 33. If it wasn't for having someone there to support me. There is an African proverb that says this, if you wanna run fast, run by yourself. But if you wanna run far, run with others. Church, at Plano and at Frisco, I don't want you to run fast and burn out. We know a lot of people, do we not? who started out great, and now they are nowhere to be found. They are sidelined. They're wasting their lives. I don't want you to run fast and burn out. I want you to run far, and I want you to finish. And for that to happen, you need to be in community. Take a look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another as you see the day approaching. You see, why is it that some people don't make it to the finish line? I want to give you the number one reason. It's fear. And they don't even know they have it, but they think, I'm afraid I won't be able to keep this commitment of community. Fear. But when you are beloved and you belong, guess what happens next? You become. When you have God and others supporting you, folks, it gives you the courage to stay in the race because God and others will come along and say, you can do it. You can do it. Don't give up. Don't get sidetracked. You and I need to gather a team of people if we're going to run the distance. Now, when you're running your race, you need to realize the sixth thing, and it is this, that God is cheering you at every stage. You see, some people mistakenly think that God only smiles at their life when they are doing the right thing, that when, when they cross the finish line or when they become spiritually mature. Nothing could be further from the truth. Think about this. Nobody shames a baby when that baby can't read, do they? Stupid baby. <laughs> Nobody shames a 10-year-old for not having some financial spreadsheet on Excel. Stupid 10-year-old. No, we know intuitively, do we not, what's appropriate at every stage. When my grandkids come to me and they give me a picture that they've just crayoned over or taken a crayon and, and colored all over it, I say, it's perfect. 
And when I say that, I'm not saying it's a Picasso. I'm saying it's perfect for the stage that they're in then. God smiles at you at every stage of your life. And so I say this, don't shame yourself. Some of you are thinking right now, why am I not further along in my Christian life than I am right now? Why am I still hung up on all these hurts, habits, and hangups? Folks, a lot of times we shame ourselves because we think God's ashamed of us. God is not ashamed of you. Romans 8, 1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, why is this so important that we realize that God is in the stands and cheering us on at every stage of our life? It's because the major reason you don't become the man or woman of God that God intends for you to be and that deep down inside you want to be isn't because God is ashamed of you. It's because you are ashamed of yourself. And instead of you opening up and being vulnerable and transparent, you've chosen to fake it, to wear a mask, to pretend. And on the inside... On the inside, you're ashamed and you are beating yourself up. I say this, your friends already know that you don't have it all together and God already knows that you don't have it all together. So you might as well admit that you don't have it all together and stop beating yourself up because when you do that, when you are vulnerable and transparent and admit that your life, you know what, it's a mess right now. The shame will decrease and your energy level will go up because what you will realize is that God is in the stands cheering you on. But if you and I continue to pretend, you know what? I don't need to grow. (laughs) That, That Christian Netflix stuff, I don't have to. I've got it together. Guess what? You won't. And your shame will eat you alive. Here's another verse. Look at this. Another passage, Philippians 3, 12 through 14. I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I keep working towards that day when I will finally be all that Christ Jesus saved me for and wants me to be. I'm still not all I should be, but I am focusing all my energies on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I strain to reach the end of the race and receive the prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us up to heaven. Paul's saying, you know what? I'm not going to pretend like I've got it all together. I'm not going to allow the the, the shame of my past to eat my lunch. No, I'm going to realize that God is cheering me on and that's going to help me to reach forward to everything that he has for me and that he wants me to be. God is cheering for you at every stage of your life. Parents, have you ever watched your child run a race at school? I'm sure you have. At what point did you start to cheer for them? When they crossed the finish line? No, you didn't. You cheered for them all the way around the track. And when they stumbled and fell and embarrassed themselves, guess what you did? You cheered for them more. I just shared a truth that I hope you never forget. 
God cheers for you at every stage of life as you're running around the track and even if you've fallen down, God's even cheering more. Some of you need that truth. So if you're gonna make it to the finish line and become the man or woman that God wants you to be, there is a seventh thing. And it is this, you must take every step with purpose. Now, I have to admit that I didn't do this for a lot of years in my life, but the older I get, the more I see that I'm at the shorter end of the stick. And so as a result, I am making more sure that I am more taking every step with purpose. Now, the challenge, though, is this. None of us know, do we, at what end of the stick we are. It may be one week, it may be one month, it may be one year, it may be 10, 20, 30, 50, 60 years. We don't know. But what I do know is this, that if you're gonna make it to the finish line, you've gotta, you've gotta make every step count, meaning that you need more discipline and more self-control in your life. Anybody who signs up for the Olympics knows that they have to eat differently, sleep differently, think differently than anybody else out there. So what I'm saying is this, you got to be purpose-driven. Just like the Apostle Paul. Here is another passage, a big one, 1 Corinthians 9, 25 through 26. All athletes practice strict self-control. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run straight to the goal with purpose in every step. I am not like a boxer who misses his punches. Paul's saying, you know what? I'm not going to waste my time and my life. If I'm going to throw a punch, I'm going to make sure that punch lands where I want it to land. If I'm going to run in a race, I'm going to make sure every step is sure. That's how you finish a race. Take a look at Hebrews chapter 12, and 12 through 13. Lift up your tired hands then and strengthen your trembling knees. Keep walking on straight paths. Stop right there. Have you ever watched a, a marathon runner and, and, and all of a sudden you, you know that his body is going through hell? Do they stop? No. They may not run, but they will walk. You see, when you and I are going through hell, whatever that might be, you don't stop and stay there. You walk through it. This is what the writer of Hebrews is talking about here. Keep walking. You may not be able to run the race, but, but at least walk. Keep walking. Walk your way through it. Keep walking on the straight path so that your lame foot may not be disabled, but instead be healed. Will you circle the phrase lame foot? What's he talking about here? You see, in the race of life, we all run with a limp. Every one of us. Every one of us has a limp. Some of us have relational limps. Some of us have emotional limps. Some of us have mental limps. Some of us have uh, 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 spiritual limps. If I have a limp, a natural limp, guess what? I better stay on the straight path. I better make sure I don't stop and get sidetracked with a crooked path or a rocky path because with a natural limp, you're more likely to stumble. The only way I'm, I'm gonna stumble less in life is as, as I stay true 
to the process, to the system. As I stay systematic in my running, and if can't run, even in my walking. That's how it's done. The eighth thing, if you're going to finish the race of life, cross the finish line, and this is my favorite one, is this, i got to realize that what I don't finish, God will. You see, God's original purpose for creating me was to become like Christ. But if I don't reach that end, maybe there's some part of my life that's obviously left undone. God is going to complete the character development in my life one day. Take a look at Philippians 1, verse 6. I am sure that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus comes back again. Folks, what a day that will be when you and I see Jesus face to face. You see, right now, he is invisible to us. But one day, the Bible says, we will be standing before him face to face. And those mere neurons, I'm going to tell you this, are going to go into overdrive. And you will become just like him. Not a mini God, but godly. And all your faults, failures, and fumbles, your limps, your insecurities, your fears, your weaknesses, boom, will be gone. Because your total focus will be on Jesus. That is the day I am looking for, forward to. But the reality is this. Our hearts are still beating, aren't they? And Jesus has not come back. Which means we have a race to run. And God wants us to run it purposefully. He wants us to be loved by him. He wants us to belong to a spiritual family, and even more importantly, a small group. And he wants us to become like him. And maybe you've been sidelined. Now's the time to get back in the race and become all that God wants you to be. Let's pray. Dear Father, just thank you for your word. And I thank you for the fact that you love us beyond what we can even comprehend, that you are our greatest fan in life, in eternity past, in eternity present, and you will be in eternity future. That all you have for us are cheers, that you're cheering us on as we are running this race called life and becoming what you've intended us to be like your son, Jesus Christ. Maybe today it's hit you for the very first time that you need, you've known about this person named Jesus and you've known about this, the fact that there's a God out there, but today maybe something happened in your heart where you now want to personalize it, where you just don't want to have God off at some kind of distance planet out there, but that you want him to be ruling and reigning in your heart. That's what he created you for. 
this morning, will you just say this, God, I want you to love me. You made me to love me, and right now, I want to receive that love. God, I don't want to be a fake. You know the hurts and the habits and the hangups that are going on in my life, but I thank you that you even love me with those things. Today, God, I want to commit myself to you. God, I want to run your race that you have for me. Thank you for the forgiveness that I have through your son, Jesus Christ. If you prayed that prayer, simple as it was, as much of it as you understood, God heard it. And he's come in and he has cleaned the slate and he is going to empower you to walk the walk, but maybe even more importantly, to run the race and to finish the course. Would you just let me know that on your connection card? Just write the letter A on it. Give me an email address so that I can email you some things that'll help you with your newfound relationship with him. So God, we thank you. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your committedness to us. We thank you for your word that is just chock full of truth and principles for life, God. Thank you that you have predestined us to become like your son. And what you've started, God, one day you will finish. Thank you for that. In your son's name we pray. Amen.